I just had to take a moment there to hide self-view. Uh, I love that activity. Um, <laughs> where it's so easy is pressing a button. Um, I want to uh, continue um, talking about uh, Thich Nhat Hanh. Um, as you know, I think most, probably everyone knows, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh passed on this last Friday. And, um, you know, since then, uh, many tributes have been coming in and there, uh, there's uh, been uh, many ceremonies. Um, and, um, we, 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 we made, we made a ceremony ourselves here tonight, uh, to honor Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, so the whole, you know, Buddhist world is um, uh, mourning his death and uh, honoring his life uh, right now. Uh, because he, you know, was the one of our best loved and, 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 and most well-known, uh, maybe, maybe between, um, you know, him and the Dalai Lama, uh, probably the two um, t contemporary teachers that are, you know, have been well known outside of the the Buddhist world, um, outside of the world of, of Buddhist practice. Uh, so these these uh, uh, figures have have um, represented um, what Buddhism is. Um, to the world, and uh, of course, we, we're we couldn't have uh, any better representation in the in the in the uh, in the general populace, and in, in, in to to achieve a, an impression of of what Buddhism is about, and uh, what we. Um, what we stand for and and how we stand in you know our lives um, Karen and I my Karen my wife and I were um, at uh, Tazahara Zen Mountain Center the monastery of San Francisco Zen Center in the early 1980s and uh, at that time uh, Thich Nhat Hanh uh, came to visit there uh, at the invitation of uh, the then abbot, uh, Richard Baker Roshi. And uh, before he arrived, uh, before Thich Nhat Hanh arrived, um, Baker Roshi uh, referred to him and to us as the Slowest man in America, and uh, we uh, when we when 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 uh, Thich Nhat Hanh actually got there, uh, we saw you know that the truth of what he said, and of course he could win. Thich Nhat Hanh could win that title because he wasn't an American, so he could he could because he. He wasn't an American. He came from a different culture where uh, to be, um, to walk 
uh, slow and mindfully was, um, you know, a thousand, fifteen hundred year old tradition in the monasteries of Vietnam. Uh, so he came in from an embedded experience in going slow. I was at the time that Tikhan Han came to practice at Tassahara, I was practicing there. It was a, during a practice period. Um, and I probably at that time had been practicing myself for about five or six years. I kind of made a pretty quick rush to get to um, monastic practice. But um, <clears throat> what I found was that when Thich Nhat Hanh came to visit, I, I wasn't ready for him. Uh, and this is, of course, um, looking back, you know, on, this, on, on that time and my perspective now. And my perspective now is that I wasn't ready for Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, at that time, I was attracted to... Uh, a very dynamic teacher, uh, a teacher who had a very you know, different kind of profile than than Thich Nhat Hanh, and that was uh, Richard Richard Baker Roshi. And so when when Thich Nhat Hanh came, it was uh, I wasn't I wasn't ready uh, to uh, see him uh, as you know, this very quiet, slow, moving, you know, obviously very peaceful, but somehow I, I wasn't really ready to meet that that version of a teacher. I was kind of wedded to this other this other kind of startlingly uh brilliant uh intellectual uh uh, teacher that I had at that time. So even though, you know, I met Thich Nhat Hanh and I, I did interact with him even, uh, one on one, um, I don't feel I really met Thich Nhat Hanh. I feel like I missed Thich Nhat Hanh. So, um, Guess that's that would be that would be in the classification of a minor regret in my in my life that I that I didn't see who was I didn't really see who was in front of me at that time. I wasn't ready for that person. So but it's now it's been um you know some 40 years uh since that time um when I didn't meet Thich Nhat Hanh and um but I and since since that time I feel like I have um much more uh, embraced his vision of practice and his vision of what freedom is um and uh, particularly um if you if you haven't um 
studied his book uh, healing, called Healing, Healing and Transformation, uh, which is an, an ex, explication of the Mindfulness Sutra. Well, that 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 was has been a very uh, influential book on me, and I've gone back to it many many times and referred to it often, especially when um, you know for, for the purpose of teaching meditation. Uh, so healing and transformation. Uh, well, he has many many books, of course, and um, that one in particular was has was influential on me, and. As I said, I, I feel like I've become closer to his vision of practice and his vision of freedom, but um, it's it's not it's not the it's not what I what I expected. Um, it's not some um, grand uh, penetrating, uh, some flashing vision of nirvana. Uh, but it's 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 a vision of that is rooted rooted in the body, and that and mindfulness sutra, of course, is is you know mindfulness of, of the body is the is the first foundation of mindfulness, and and rooting our attention and rooting our practice in the body is. Is what Tikhon Han, I think, had so thoroughly studied. Uh, he's, you know, he really studied the Mindfulness Sutra and in his tradition in Vietnamese Zen, which is, you know, an interesting amalgamation of, uh, you know, Southern Buddhism, you know, that is Theravadan Buddhism and um, the Mahayana, and they kind of met. Those two those two traditions kind of met in Vietnam, and 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 in a way blended. Um, so you still have, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh was a Zen practitioner, um, but very rooted in the in in uh, the the Theravadan mindfulness practices, which you know, which which are of course part of our tradition as well, but not as much emphasized, you know, as in, in Zen, not 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 in the same way anyway. Um, so he um, he had this vision. His vision of of freedom was was so rooted in this this um, practice of of going slow and being still and. And his his vision of you know this is kind of this is kind of kind of paradox right it's one of the paradoxes of of our our tradition is that um, you know freedom is usually is usually associated with you know unlimited movement um, ability to move in space in any direction to go in any direction. It's 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 associated with many possibilities, um, and and yet um, the freedom that uh, Thich Nhat Hanh practiced and taught was was rooted in being still, quiet, 
deeply at peace with oneself. So it wasn't this vision of, you know, infinite possibilities and uh, some kind of uh, you know, grand, grand um, uh, freedom uh, that, well, that people, and, and maybe it wasn't the, the most, you know, the it wasn't the common definition of freedom. Uh, his teaching was not, and, and Buddhist teaching in general, is not the common definition of freedom, just to be able to do whatever you want, you know, do your own thing go in any direction you want. That's actually one of the, that kind of definition of freedom is, is actually one of the dangers of freedom. Uh, it's, it's, it, and, and actually you can, you can come, you can come around um, and in your practice, you, you, can, you can enter that, that door of freedom actually. You can enter th through a wide door that looks like I can do anything I want. That this is a definite possibility for us to a definite kind of experience for us to have in practice. Uh, that we can we can have this experience of of uh, opening, and the it looks like we can go in any every direction that we want and we can do anything we want and that's actually something we need to be the arising of that kind of uh, feeling in our practice is something we need to be uh, aware of or uh, uh, we need to see that that's a possibility of something coming and we need at that time should that kind of vision arise of uh, being able to do anything we want, uh, we need to, this is the time we need to remember uh, the moral and ethical teachings of our practice. This is the time we, we, we need to remember uh, the aspects of restraint, actually. So there's kind of this, there's kind of this dynamic going on in, in, um, and the idea of freedom between uh, and 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 which and and what it looks like because it's 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 as much based in in restraint of well just let's just say restraint as it is in unlimited possibilities and you know. We can have we can have the vision of unlimited possibilities if we're firmly rooted in stillness and restraint and uh, mindfulness mindfulness in our activity mindfulness of the body mindfulness of mind. Mindfulness of states of mind and mindfulness of all dharmas. That's the four foundations of mindfulness uh, that 
uh, Thich Nhat Hanh um, taught, you know, over and over again. Uh, th those four foundations of mindfulness were, were his vision of freedom. That was his vision of freedom. Mindfulness of the body. Mindfulness of feelings. Mindfulness of states of mind and mindfulness of all dharmas. So, you know, we have an ethic or an ethos that we follow and it helps us, our ethics and our, our teachings of morality help us take care of freedom. They take it, 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 those teachings help us take care of, nurture, and enjoy freedom. So this is a, this is and this is this is this is, you know, Thich Nhat Hanh embodied this ethos of of kindness, of you know, taking care in all situations. He was completely. I mean, he, in, 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 you know, he had this, he had this, you, you know, so many unique ways of teaching and, 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 uh, and he would, ref, he, he first often in his, in his writings to, um, um, talking to oneself as, uh, a dear one, he, he say, he say, dear one, dear, my dear, you know, this kind of thing, like, you, almost like you talk to, I don't know, your, your, your lover or your child, my dear, you know, and he, 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 he often uses that, that, that language in his, in his, in his writing. So this, this, he really was emphasizing this aspect of, he's always emphasizing this aspect of being kind to ourselves, being, being, um, yeah, just just dear to ourselves, and of course, dear to others. Being and treating others as my dear, of course, not with any kind of sense of, you know, grasping them, but as as a sense of honoring them and and uh, and you know, lifting them up and and caring for them. I mean, you know, he was he was just remarkable in that way. I mean. I guess the right word is, and I think he used it more than once, was, was love. You know, he, 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 he used the word love, which we don't use a lot. We don't hear a lot in Buddhist teachings, but Thich Nhat Hanh wasn't afraid to use that word. He wasn't afraid to offer uh, that kind of vision. and. Um, but again, the the this attitude of caring, and um, you know this attitude of being upright, uh, is what kind of creates the container for freedom. It contain it, it. It doesn't limit freedom in a in a, in a, in that sense. You know, or doesn't exactly limit it, but it it channels it in the right way. Let's say it channels it. It's like, uh, 
like the channel of a river. It keeps it in, it keeps, it keeps our freedom in the right course and going in the right direction. Being um, upright, being ethical, taking care, being kind to both ourselves and others. All the dear ones, including ourselves, we are all dear ones. So recently, I was on um, I was on a Southwest flight. I was returning from uh, Arizona family visit in Arizona, and if you've been on a flight Southwest flight, you've probably heard this announcement: the steward or the stewardess comes on the, uh, the PA systems and says something like, um, "You know, welcome home." We know you have many choices when you fly. Thank you for flying with Southwest. You know, have a pleasant, you know, uh, arrival. Thank you. We know you have many choices. Thank you for flying with us. So uh, this is um, a definition, you know, having choices is 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 a definition of freedom having many choices when you fly having many choices in your life yeah we have we have a choice to wear a mask now right and we have a choice not to wear a mask so we have many choices in our life and um this is this is this is uh, a freedom that we we have, and again we have to be very careful about what we how attached we get to it, how attached do we get to our vision of freedom? Do we cling to our vision of freedom at the expense of others? then maybe that's not really freedom. That's not really the true freedom. If it, if, if our freedom uh, doesn't take into account uh, the needs of other people and the health of other people. So um, one time, uh, lot. This has been a few years ago. Um, this was back in those halcyon days when um, we could <clears throat> we could gather in large groups without fear of contracting or transmitting a serious disease. Remember that. Remember that time. I hope we'll get back to that time. But anyway, it's been a few years now since we had that time. And this was a few years before that. I was at a large gathering at Green Gulch Farm on a Sunday. And it was the first Sunday of the month. And on the first Sunday of the month, back in those halcyon days, um, they had a program where families would come to Green Gulch Farm with their children. 
and they would come to the lecture in the Zendo. And for the first 10 minutes of the lecture, the teacher of the day would speak to the children. And then after the 10 minutes were up, the children and their parents would, or maybe one of the parents or anyway, some adult would take them out of the Zendo. And then the talk would continue for the remaining adults. So at this particular talk, um, Reb Anderson was the, the teacher giving the Sunday Dharma talk. And uh, he was talking about wisdom. And he, um, he asked, he asked uh, the children, um, did they know uh, what wisdom was? Did they know what wisdom meant? And uh, about a maybe 10 or 11 year old girl raised her hand and said, oh, wisdom is the uh, ability or is, is the wisdom is making good choices. Wisdom is making good choices. This is what uh, Diamond Sutra calls uh, the daughter of a good family. Son or daughter of a good family is what the Diamond Sutra says. This is wisdom is making good choices. That was a very wise answer from this child. Each moment is a choice. Every moment we have a choice. We may not always see that, um, but we are constantly, constantly choosing. And sometimes uh, our choices are unconscious. Maybe most of the time, our choices are unconscious. Did I just get very dark? Yeah, my light went out, so excuse me. Um, I could plug it in, but maybe I'll just keep um, going. <laughs> Zoom has adjusted for you. Should I turn it on? I mean, what do you say? No, go, just go. Okay. Fine, you can see, you can see half my face. Thank you. Um, so uh, each moment is a choice. Each moment, uh, Dogen says, uh, each moment of uh, zazen or each moment of practice is equally a moment of practice, equally a moment of realization, equally a moment of practice, equally a moment of realization. Each moment of practice is a choice, whether we actually see it as such or not. Most of the time, I think how it is for us is that uh, 
we, we start out strong. We're going to make the choice of mindfulness. That's our intention on the cushion and, you know, throughout our life. And, uh, and then we find we make, we, we, we find we make other choices. Uh, that don't appear to come from our mindfulness, that appear to uh, just get away from us. And this is very apparent, of course, in sitting meditation. Um, we're, we we, we uh, have an intention to sit uh, still and upright and uh, attentive to our breathing and attentive to everything that's arising. And uh, we find, we find at some moments that uh, we, we, have, uh, we have gone somewhere else from this intention. And we are, you know, thinking about resolving some problem that we have or uh, planning for some future activity. So... Uh, you may say, well, that wasn't exactly a choice. I didn't even notice I was making that choice. Um, but that's the point, I guess. That's the point. You didn't notice you were making that choice. So, But it, it was still a choice. It was still a choice. So I think in our practice, what we what we we endeavor to do is just we just endeavor to follow the teaching of that little girl. We endeavor to follow the teaching of making good choices, and we we devote ourselves to that. And. We don't get attached too much to whether that worked out perfectly or not. It may not always work out perfectly. In fact, it won't always work out perfectly. I can almost guarantee it. I can guarantee it. There's a bumper sticker. There's a bumper sticker you can see out in the world. It's called, um, it says, Choose Peace. Have you seen that bumper sticker? Bumper stickers aren't so popular anymore, but anyway, once in a while you can see somebody riding around in their car with a lot of bumper stickers. And one of the, one of the, Bumper stickers that you used to see quite a bit was choose peace. So I think uh, you know that was um, that was uh, Thich Nhat Hanh's main che- main teaching. Uh, choose peace. And that's what uh, he was teaching. That's what he was. Um, trying to get the world to hear and trying to get the world to believe and trying to, as best he could from the position he was in, which was, of course, exile 
from his country because he chose peace and the country was choosing war. And finally, he, he left the country and they, they, they refused to let him come back. Refused to let him come back to his country. Uh, so he had to, uh, he set up practice places um, in America, in France. Uh, I don't know, maybe uh, some other countries. I'm, I'm not familiar, but I, I'm probably... I'm surely there are Thich Nhat Hanh communities uh, in other countries as well. Uh, France is the best known one. There's one here in California, down uh, in Southern California, uh, in the desert. Um, so he, his country wouldn't let him back in. And so he had to go elsewhere and teach peace and teach the practice of choosing peace. And, you know, it's a, difficult, it's a difficult practice. It's a difficult practice to constantly choose peace. And we forget. And then we remember. Mindfulness means remembering. We forget, and then we return, and we remember Choose peace. Be peace. Let peace begin with me. So right now, uh, I want to pivot. Uh, somewhat in my talk, and this is kind of by way of introducing Raphael, because um, I'm talking tonight about peace, and I'm talking uh, tonight about freedom, and in one sense, of course, you know, I'm qualified to talk about those things by virtue of long practice, I suppose. Uh, but in another sense, um, I'm not qualified to talk about, uh, particularly about freedom. And the reason I'm not qualified to talk about freedom in a certain sense is that uh, I've always enjoyed a certain kind of freedom. I've always had, by virtue of my birthright, uh, a certain kind of freedom. I grew up in a um, middle-class family. I never uh, wanted for anything. I always felt that I had uh, many choices on how I would live my life. And I saw, I saw no obstacles to realizing those choices. 
I didn't see any social structures, any uh, pre-existing conditions that would prevent me from uh, realizing uh, my life or what it would be. But uh, this isn't um, the you know the condition that everyone uh, encounters in this world. I we have a we have a, a social construct in this world. We have a social construct uh, that's that's impacted and shaped by both racism, by sexism. So, you know, I didn't, I didn't face those kinds of obstacles in my life. I uh, come from the um, socially, uh, I guess speaking, the, the right side of the tracks. I come from a white middle class. And um, this is, you know, in this situation, uh, coming from that social milieu, <clears throat> that social milieu favors, particularly favors, white boys and white men. This is this, this, the, this is a, uh, that that social structure particularly favors uh its sons its white sons and 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 uh creates ideally ideal conditions uh for them to succeed and th- this is the milieu that i grew up in and this is as you can see who i am um so I I feel like when we talk about freedom and we talk about peace and 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 also that we should talk about justice um, that is important to hear from other voices and other perspectives and this is why I have asked and Raphael has agreed to speak tonight uh, to talk about how this how this social construct looks to him and and how uh, what his uh, definition of freedom is and how he's working with it in his practice in his life so with that, I will offer the floor to Raphael for his thoughts. Thank you, Jim, for giving us a feeling, a sense of connection with not only our Zen practice, but to those practitioners such as Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, and thank you for introducing uh, 
the social construct, the idea of it, and what is the relation of a social construct to uh, freedom or liberty. Um, so thank you so much. Uh, I, I really do feel like I'm belonging uh, to this Sangha, to this community that is the Sacramento Dharma Center, and in particular, Valley Streams. Uh, I've been made to feel like I'm a part of the family here and that I belong, that I'm not on the outside, that I'm on the inside. Um, yeah, how much time do I have? I think you, you have, um, well, you have plenty of time, actually. You have, let's say, you know, 20 minutes or, you know, 15, 20 minutes, and then people may have questions. Well, I only need a few minutes to talk about freedom. I will talk about other things uh, that is in my life that has uh, that has given me many opportunities to. Uh, you mentioned healing and transformation. I don't know if transformation comes before freedom or freedom comes before transformation. But I do know that uh, it has been uh, very special. It's been a very special opportunity to uh, experience transformation and freedom uh, and in stages, not all at once. I had the pleasure of becoming involved with the Zen practice in San Quentin. And uh, at that time, when I began to practice in earnest, that is to do uh, the sitting, the Kenan Dharma talks uh, with our then leader and teacher, uh, Sato Lee Barrows, who he wasn't a man of many words. But his presence alone spoke volumes. I had the pleasure of meeting Thich Nhat Hanh. Uh, the, the love and the tenderness, the embrace, uh, the compassion. He wasn't there in person, but his devoted followers were. And that's how I met Thich Nhat Hanh. And then after they were gone, I... Again, reunited with Thich Nhat Hanh in my cell when I began to read from his writings, his poetry, especially. And as Thich Nhat Hanh would say, I am not there in the grave. I'm not there in the ashes that you scatter, wherever you scatter. I'm there with you. And so Thich Nhat Hanh is in my heart. He's here with me. He's here with us who have been touched by his, his uh, grace and his, his wisdom. So I want to uh, ask for a moment of silence in memoriam, in memory of such a powerful, awesome human being who gave us so much in regards to mindfulness and awareness and just the ability to connect with ourselves and to and to be embrace each other.
as reality meets us in the present moment, we want to offer, we want to offer to Tignahan that we love you. We cherish everything about your life, teaching us how to mindfully eat, teaching us how to mindfully brush our teeth, how to mindfully take each step in honor and in grace and in mercy for one another. We love you, Tignahan. I want to say that uh, for me, freedom and liberty has a life of its own. Uh, I've spent over 40 years uh, in jails and prisons uh, under latch and key, if you will, in chains, my legs and my feet. I remember those days when I was being transported from one prison to another, and they would uh, put leg chains around our ankles, chains around our waist, and also chain around our wrists. So we couldn't move. The freedom of movement was constricted. Actually, there was no freedom of movement. And they would march us on a bus, and they would put us in our seats, and we would be in that position with the chains for hours. I think we left Chino early in the morning. Chino is in Southern California. And I arrived to Folsom late at night. So that was at least at least 10 hours in that position. And uh, it would be it would be uh, impossible to describe the feeling of pain and suffering that that experience uh, had on all of us that was inside of that bus. And I could remember the moments and the times and when reality, when I, reality that met me in the moments of living inside of a very small cell. I could take a few steps and I would touch the bars and I would turn around and take a few steps and touch the wall where the restroom was. And that's just a few steps. And that was the extent of my movement inside of a cell. So I know what it feels like to have the freedom to walk inside of a cell. I know what it feels like to have the freedom to sit on a bus and be able to uh, just move my shoulders. I know what it feels like to be on the lower yard of San Quentin and just have to walk around in circles around that yard. and. We could always look up and see Mount Tamalpais, but we didn't have the freedom to go out there and enjoy the beauty of nature. And so that's the perspective that I have of what freedom means. And I could go on with those type of stories about freedom and how it uh was very evasive, how I was fixated on 
the powerlessness of not having the opportunity to experience freedom of body, freedom of mind, freedom of movement, freedom to love, freedom, because hate, hatred and bitterness was the only freedom that I knew. That was my freedom to hate, to be bitter, to be angry with myself even. That was where freedom took me. Freedom took me down this dark road. That was my experience with freedom. And then after practicing inside with volunteers who had freedom to come in and the freedom to leave, and we had the freedom to stay in our cell or to go to the Zendo and practice with them. And that little bit of freedom that we had, we exercised it and we used it to our benefit. And it was precisely because of that decision. I didn't have a lot of choices, but I had one decision to make. The choice was stay in the cell or go to the Zendo. The decision was, I'm sick of this cell and I'm going out to the Zendo. And so that little bit of decision, that little bit of freedom gave me an opportunity to connect my life to those who were willing to come in and touch the untouchables, love the unlovable, and become a part of our lives in a special way. And that, to me, was unbelievable. How would anybody want to do something like that? Of all the places that you could go in Marin, beauty of Marin, you could go to Point Reyes and experience the beauty of nature. Instead, you're coming inside of this old dilapidated prison where the woes of men and the spirits of of those that were killed and butchered and murdered don't come in here. Well, that was where reality met up with me and the opportunity for the practice gave me a newfound life. It gave me hope where there was hopelessness. It gave me passion where there was nothing but bitterness. And then the board did the unthinkable. The board of parole hearings determines whether a prisoner who's serving a life sentence gets out in 10 years or 20 years or even 30 or 40 years. And in, in, in the years of the 80s, 90s, and the 2000s, uh, they didn't believe in giving us a recyclable chance to experience liberty and then freedom. Uh, I remember uh, Gray Davis said, the only way that I'm going to let a lifer out of San Quentin or Folsom or the CDCR is in a pine box. And that resonated because we knew already that that was already the practice. We felt like we was in a pine box. And then, lo and behold, Gray Davis was marched out of uh, the office. Uh, 
of all the things that we were spraying for, it happened. They recalled him. And I don't know where he is now, but Gray Davis, I want to say to you, thank you for making us stronger under the hopelessness of not getting out of prison, because that's what it made of us, stronger human beings. It made us want to practice and sit more. It made us more intent, more intense. The intention was to become human beings and not just numbers. We didn't want to remain as objects. We wanted to rise above the objectivity and experience the inward manifestation of a soul and a spirit that knew how to love, that knew how to love others, that knew how to live a life that was meaningful and productive. So thank you, Gray Davis, for allowing us that opportunity. And so after 40 years, approximately 40 years of direct imprisonment and direct supervision, you know, I want to say that in 2017, when I was able to walk out of San Quentin as a free man, that I didn't know what to expect. My legs were shaking. I couldn't hold my hands in a steady way. My stomach, I was sick to my stomach when they said you're going out and I was walking out and I couldn't believe it. I think the two parole agents that escorted me out stopped at a Starbucks or something and they said, what can we get you to eat? And I looked at them and I couldn't even answer. Actually, I was too sick to want to eat anything. The whole the whole time that we drove back from uh, Marin to uh, Woodland, I was sick to my stomach. And that's how freedom felt to me. It was a, it was a physical withdrawal from the years of imprisonment. And on the 11th of this month, it, marks, it marked the fifth year of my parole wearing a leg monitor, a leg monitor that they would on occasion turn a switch where it would shock me. I'm, I no longer wear the monitor, but I still feel the shock. So I'm not free from the shock yet. Freedom is not free to me because my mind is still attached to living in a cell, to wearing leg chains and handcuffs. My mind is still attached to the lower yard. And I want to cry when I say that. Because since January 11th, I have not been able to sleep. I had a nice phone and I lost it. I don't know how I lost it, but my mind went away from it. 
I'm so scared to go anywhere. I'm still scared to go out and and see my family in Los Angeles. But here's what I have been able to to know is that as long as I continue in the practice to sit I do not have to personalize those moments when I was not feeling like a human being. I don't have to personalize that. The dukkha, that is the pain, the suffering, does not become me. I don't I don't accept it as who I am. The deeds, the offenses that I committed, I don't accept that as who I am. This practice, Zen practice of meditation, Zen practice of chanting the, the beautiful verses, sensations, formations, mind consciousness. It has given me an opportunity for the universal consciousness that gives me an opportunity to stand up And I know that pain and suffering is real. And I also know that that pain and suffering is not who I am. There is a space between the personalization of pain and suffering and a space that allows me to know that I have the freedom, the freedom of choice, the freedom of decision, to listen to what's going on inside of me, to find that which is within me that allows me to practice Raphael, you might have just muted yourself by accident. And uh, I want to say thank you, Valley Streams. You've been a lifesaver for at least one that I know of. And hopefully that saving of life will be pushed forward. It would be put forward in such a way that my hands and my feet will continue she 
you muted yourself again somehow, or you're muted again. Could be the connection. His connection's bad, yeah. Oh, is it? And I'm grateful to each and every one of you for this practice. Thank you, Raphael. So um, I wanted, I wanted uh, this, especially the, everyone to know about the end of Raphael's um, parole. And um, obviously he told us that, you know, the end of parole is not the beginning of freedom, but um, it still uh, represents um, just a remarkable effort on his part uh, in spite of many odds against, they, they make it so difficult uh, to stay on the right side of things. And um, he said, you know, many challenges during this this time of five years. Uh, and I'm just, uh, well, I hope it's not patronizing to say proud, but I'm just happy for you and... Um, you know, I hope that there will be coming ease that you you will will feel. You know, I can understand that it's just like walking out of San Quentin again in a way, like the, the still feeling like what what now? What do I you know? What's next? And um, I I'm, I'm I'm praying that you know you'll you'll find that. You'll find out what next. And now that you have so many more choices um, than the 50-mile radius, if it's even been that, that you've been allowed to travel for the last uh, years. So um, I'm just happy for you. And I just thought it would be good for the Sangha to to know about this and and celebrate with Raphael because it's 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 a it's a big milestone of freedom. Uh, thank you so much for listening to us. And um, if you, it's, it's getting toward late, but if you if you'd like to make any comments or questions, we'd be happy to take those. Malar. Uh, Philo, uh, thank you very much. I was very touched when you took us into your experiences on your on your bus ride and on leaving San Quentin. I I really felt I was walking with you at that time, and. Uh, Recently, I've heard about Ear Hustle. Are you familiar with Ear Hustle? Yes, I am. And uh, I, I've... Uh, did you ever uh, participate uh, with that podcast out of San Quentin? Yeah, Erline Woods uh, is one of the founders of it and so we we spent many many days and hours and years uh uh bringing that to a reality but i was not directly involved uh everything about inspira inspiration is what san quentin is all about 
and for the most part uh, uh, we inspire each other and the volunteers that come in they inspire us we inspire them and so ear hustle is an in it's actually an extension of that inspiration that spirit of of uh transformative justice that we hear often mentioned thank thank you so much uh, richard thank you yeah rafael i just want to thank you uh for sharing your story and i um happy that your parole has ended and um yeah i think i think i've heard bits of your stories throughout the years from here in uh bipop but yeah i i feel that your sharing has you know really touched me and um i'm i'm i know i moved and i'm happy that you you were able to share that with the sangha and uh with us so thank you Thank you, Richard. All the blessings for you and your family and the infant child that is forming inside of the womb of your wife. Um, Barry? I, hi, Raphael. Um, I just wanted to quickly say I've, I've always been inspired by you and every time you share, it um, always feels like uh, I always get a sense of um, invigoration to my own practice. I don't know the right word, but I just want to say thank you um, for, for the, all the sharing you've done with us. I really appreciate this. Oscar? Well, congratulations, Raphael. Um, you've had a long, hard journey. And uh, I just want to say, um, I'm feeling tonight in the Sangha a sense of, uh, of, uh, of fellowship that you've created because um, you've chosen us, we've chosen you um, to walk together during this period. I feel honored that, that you did choose us. Um, so it's just, uh, so heartwarming and so heartbreaking to, uh, to have you here today and know your story. And, uh, it's such an inspiration, uh, that you've provided for, for me. So congratulations, man. Good work. It's quite amazing. Dora Lee. Oh, dear Raphael. <laughs> I have tears too. I felt your tears. And I was especially I, to hear that you found the practice because you wanted to restore your humanness. <laughs> You know, and that meant really turning towards your suffering too, but you've learned to do that in a way that you can feel the reality of what's happening 
at the same time, you know that's not you. And the the you that's now been nurtured and you've been true to it, you've been kind to yourself. You know, I just feel very inspired, but also so hopeful for the life ahead for you. Thank you, Raphael. Brendan? Yes, thank you both for your for your talks tonight. And um, Raphael, thank you for sharing. Um, I've been thinking a lot this week, of, uh, or just the last few days, about what Techno Khan's um, his legacy and, and what his work meant to me. And I encountered his his writings um, not long after I got sober. And um, so I've been thinking a lot about how he taught me very on my Buddhist practice, not only that people are capable of change, but that change is really an ongoing um, phenomenon of just a fundamental part of our reality that we don't even need to really go seeking anything really for us to be able to heal and transform. Um, we can seek and kind of embrace that and surrender to it, which I think helps. But um, I, I connected to Buddhism conceptually and it spoke to me, but I think that reading Thich Nhat Hanh and listening to his Dharma talks, when he talked about healing oneself through meditation and and reflection and, and love. And not, not only that, but he, being able to heal other people, being able to heal our own ancestors. That was something that I couldn't quite explain, but I felt it to be true. And I think that was really the beginning of my faith, of faith in anything, particularly in Buddhism. So I uh, thank you both for uh, your, for honoring Thich Nhat Hanh, for your reflections. And, and again, thank you both for your talk and, Thank you for sharing tonight, Raphael. I really appreciate it. Larry. Well, I, I don't have too many words, Raphael, but I feel like I, I, I have to speak uh, just to acknowledge how privileged we are to have you in our Sangha. And you really touched me in your talk today. And, um, and thank you very much. Yeah, thank you. Uh Philo, and I, I do wish you a, a restful and good night's sleep. Thank you, everyone, for um, your attention tonight and for being with us. Um, there's this, I don't know, there's this freedom, this, this, this phrase is coming to me that I don't know where from, but uh, it's the free. It's the phrase uh, 
freedom is not free. So, um, you know, it's, and I take that to mean it's, it's hard won, you know, freedom is hard won. So, um, this is our, this is our work. It's everybody's work. It's Raphael's work and it's all our work. So, um, let it be, let's be, let it be joyful. Let it, let it, um, let it be joyful.